This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. Hi, everyone. This is Joe Krause of Jacob Media Partners with an incredible amount of gratitude. I want to thank the WPHT radio listening audience for embracing and listening to a lot of great programming on the weekends right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Shows like Beer, Chips, and Politics, The Labor Show, Good News in Real Estate, and The Lord. Lawyer to Lawyer Network. Then there's my favorites, Voices of Faith with Jim Brown, Roadmap to Retirement, the radio show, and the Sunday night weekly special, Women to Watch. From labor to medical to legal and everywhere in between, Jacob Media is proud to provide this great audience with exceptional programming. New in 2022, listen for Philly's Radio Doctor, a new medical show that will deliver a ton of high-tech information. Loving the married guys. And a show about, you guessed it, Bitcoin. On behalf of everyone involved with Jacob Media, happy holidays. Oh, I almost forgot. Presented by Ocean Casino and Resort. Go for the live shows. Go for the win. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco and it's great to be back with all of you. Um, I have a very special guest this evening and he happens to be a gentleman. So that's unique for our show, but I'm very honored and excited to have an opportunity to speak with him. Um, Before we get started, just a brief reminder to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of corporate partners bringing you news and education from their industries and we continue to be so grateful for their sponsorship and the valuable content 
they bring to the show each and every week. If you're interested in being a part of the show, feel free to email taylor at womentowatch.net for more information. And don't forget to download the podcast and sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop on all things Women to Watch. So now I'm very excited to welcome to the show psychiatrist Dr. Bruce Perry. Dr. Perry, thank you so much again for joining me. It's my pleasure. I'm very honored. So I'm amongst an elite group. <laughs> and you're probably intrigued. Why did I get this invitation? <laughs> well, I am a little bit. I am a little bit. Well, I'm going to share right off, right off the bat. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because I, I've always believed that no one can really... Um, find contentment in life, whether it's personally or professionally, until they come to know who they are. And um, it's this part of the story that I, I try to bring out of my guests every week. So the work that you're doing, and particularly this book, with the very simple question of what happened to you, just struck me so deeply when I first read the headline. And of course, your collaboration with Oprah is um, exciting and wonderful as well. So that is the reason. And so I'm going to do what I do every week and start off with a question about your own childhood and background growing up in uh, North Dakota. And wondered if you could just yeah. describe a little bit about, you know, mom and dad and the community you grew up in. Well, I I was very fortunate to have uh, a wonderful community to grow up in, lots of economic stability. It was just, you know, it's funny, I look back now and we thought it was the big city, but it was a small town. And, uh, but I had, uh, I have three siblings and my mom and dad, and my dad was a dentist and my mom stayed at home, but she was a, a writer actually. And you know, my grandparents spent a lot of time with us, so I was very fortunate to have stable community, uh, lots of high-quality public school opportunities, really good friends that are to this day uh, good friends. So it, it was it was a it was a good time. You know, grew up yeah. hunting and fishing, and you know, doing sports and going to school and all that kind of stuff. I, I look back on it now, and it was. Uh, the worst part of it was the weather. <laughs> I bet. It was so damn cold. We, we had no idea how bad it was until I started to go to other parts of the country. I'm like, wow, you mean it doesn't get to be 20 below here? Oh, my gosh. I could yeah. never survive that. Never, ever. Philadelphia is bad enough. Um, I much prefer the summer. Um, yeah. So I know that you were an athlete a standout track star and yeah. I wonder you yeah. tell me what sports taught you about life you know it's interesting because we you know a big part of our current work is focusing on teaching some of these concepts about development trauma stress to our coaches to coaches and youth uh, sports folks and in part that grew out of my experience as an athlete growing up that I I really my self-image was more tied around sport than it was around learning or achieving in school. And even, you know, going into college, I went to a really good college, but I went there because of sports. I, I wasn't really thinking about it as an academic setting. So a big part of what I learned through sport was the relationship between uh, discipline, structure, and achievement. And 
and part of that was this continuous process of learning how to be comfortable with pain or distress that by training hard one of the things i learned was that you can feel a lot of discomfort but it doesn't consume you you know you you have you work hard you, you run hard and then you rest and then you run hard again and then you rest and so the concept of interval training you know people now talk about high intensity training that was something that we all did when we were in wrestling and track and cross country and football and and the that was the beginning of my awareness of the of what we now talk about as dosing in therapeutics that uh, systems in the brain and systems in the body change in response to these tiny little doses of activation and uh, that's turned out to be a really important meaningful part of our work the the bigger thing though was what i learned through sport was the power of connection that when you are with a group of people many of whom are different from you in a lot of ways that if you have a common goal and you spend time with people that you can find this connection that allows you to move forward uh, in a way that's much more powerful than you could individually and so I, I started to recognize the power of leadership, the power of teamwork, uh, the importance of communication, you know, all kinds of things that I've carried in, into my work. And I, honestly, m my success in my professional life has more to do with what I learned in sport than what I learned in, in academics. Would you say that is when, I was going to ask you, when did you first recognize that you wanted to pursue you know um, psychology and psychiatry and was sport um, the time that that kind of woke up for you or was it prior you know that's a good question I actually when I was younger I wanted to be a history professor and I, I wanted to teach history I loved history I read history read lots of it and then I got into the eighth grade and had my first formal history class because prior to that, I was sort of reading on my own and, and developed an interest in history. My dad loved history. And so what, what happened was I had a terrible math teacher, or a terrible history teacher, who was also, he was also a math teacher. But he was, he was terrible because there was a boy in our class who we all revered. But he'd been held back a couple of years and, and But he was kind of socially progressed finally. But we loved him because he was gentle and kind and big and you know physically mature and a good athlete. But this history teacher humiliated him every day. Mm. He couldn't read. So he, the beginning of the every day he'd have you know this kid get up and uh, ask him to read the day's lesson. And he'd get up and... Knowing gosh, that he couldn't. Exactly. Mm. And finally, he put his book down and just quietly walked out of class as the teacher yelled at him about, get back here, get back here. And he never came back to school. Wow. And at that point, I said, boy, I don't want to be a history teacher. Wow. So you associated that teacher with the study of history. That's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. And, and then really because of my interest in uh, biology, I really liked animal behavior. And I, like I said, I grew up hunting and fishing. And I um, thought, well, you know, maybe I'll 
learn about biology and and think about becoming a doctor and and that's kind of what I went into college with this this sort of ill-formed idea that I was going to become a doctor. And then I was just lucky that the first uh, experience in college was with a a pioneer in the area of trauma. Okay. Um, we're going to go into our first break. When we come back, I want to follow up on that because I think I read that you didn't actually get a bachelor's but went on to get <laughs> your PhD. And I'm curious, yeah. how do you do that? Um, stay <laughs> with us. We're going to go into our first break. Stay with us for our watch team. And I'll be back with Dr. Bruce Perry. Now, the women to watch. Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. COVID continues to keep us on alert. This morning on Your Radio Doctor, we discuss possible new therapies for COVID. Dr. Neil Flammenberg, Chief of Department of Medical Oncology at Jefferson, is conducting research with promising results. Our white blood cells are the soldiers that fight infection and cancer. White blood cells called T cells recognize cells that are infected with the virus, clear those dead cells, then the body replaces them with new healthy cells. COVID destroys our T cells. In addition, older people and those who are immunosuppressed may have a weaker response to a virus. This new treatment called TVGN-489 takes T cells from patients who have recovered from COVID. They are infused into patients with early symptoms of COVID, patients at high risk for severe COVID because they have chronic conditions like diabetes or heart disease, and the infused T cells fight the viral infection and give the patient's immune system time to take over. Now, you've heard of monoclonal antibodies. These are proteins made by other white blood cells called B cells. Antibodies kill the virus. A monoclonal antibody has only one target, the spike protein. This new therapy, which is T cells, has seven targets all over the virus, so it can't be fooled by mutations from the Delta strain, and the research team is confident it will also hold up with Omicron variants. So far, the number of patients treated has been small, but they start to improve about two days after the drug was given, and there are no remarkable side effects, so the Food and Drug Administration has given approval for the trials to continue. The study is open to people with early COVID symptoms who are at high risk for serious complications patients with diabetes, heart disease, obesity, hypertension. Jefferson's also looking for donors, patients who are recovered from COVID, relatively young and otherwise healthy. If interested, call 267-239-6281. Divas, if you or a loved one have signs of COVID, call your doctor before your symptoms get ahead of you. Hear the whole show on yourradiodoctor.com. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined this evening by Dr. Bruce Perry. And Dr. Perry is a psychiatrist, and his most recent book, um, in collaboration with Oprah Winfrey, is called What Happened to You. Um, and we will get to the book. I'm just covering a little bit more about the background um, of, of your life. And I, and I did read that you did not receive your bachelor's, but you went on to get a PhD and an MD. And I was curious, how do you do that? <laughs> well, <laughs> it was kind of an accident. I, I was in college and um, it took some time off. And and then time, the, I, I didn't have enough credits to graduate. 
but all of my friends were applying to go to medical school. And I'm like, well, I don't want to spend another year in college. So I got all the medical school applications and there were four of them back then that didn't specifically ask, when are you going to graduate? So I oh. filled them out and I got into medical school and without ever having to say, I'm actually not graduating. Wow. So, um, and then, so I started medical school and I wanted to do science. I was very lucky at Stanford and Amherst where I was an undergrad to, to have an opportunity to do real research in the neurosciences. And I wanted to continue that. So after a couple of years of medical school, I took a leave of absence to get my PhD. And then when my, I was defending my dissertation at the public presentation and I, I was all done. And the chairman of, uh, or, or the dean of the school was introducing me, and he's, he's like, and where did you graduate? And I kind of said, uh -oh. um, <laughs> I didn't actually graduate from college. And he looked over at my chairman, the chairman of my department, and said, can we do this? And the, <laughs> Is this the chairman, allowed? <laughs> the chairman said, I think it's a little too late. And they said, okay. Wow. And that was ingenious. Uh, well, it was, it was a little... I don't, I've always had a little bit of the imp in me that uh, I've kind of learned that it's a lot easier to get forgiveness than permission. So I kind of just you go. do yeah. kind of go in the direction I want to go until somebody grabs me by the, you know, puts their hand on my shoulder and goes, wait a minute, where are you going? <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes it's okay to break the rules. I have to tell my children that all the time because I think when you go to Catholic school, um, they're both very much rule followers. And I, and I try to say, sometimes you can break the rules. And yeah. as you said, until someone says, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was lucky. I just, you know, I was, I was just fortunate. Yeah. And um, had well, great, I, great opportunities in, in college and graduate school. Would you say, were you a good student? I mean, the, the work, the studies that you did, I think, require a certain level of academic yeah, you know, ability. I, I I was you know I was just sort of blessed with a, I have a good memory and I'm really curious. So if the topic is of interest to me, I'm all over it. Hmm. I had a kind of a hard time with being told what to do and that I just things I didn't want to do. I mean, I would just sort of I, I learned a lot about the point of diminishing returns. So um, you know, in classes that I was interested in, I was really it did very, very well. And then classes that I had to take, I was like, you know, got my B plus and walked out yeah. of the room. You know, it was right. like, thank you very much. See ya. Right. Uh, so tell me, Dr. Perry, why um, childhood trauma? When I was preparing for this, I, I was thinking to myself, a lot of the stories that I read about from the book, when I'm simply reading these stories, I feel physically dizzy and and yeah. very unsettled and i i think how two questions i guess why childhood trauma and then how do you manage to to do that kind of work and hear these stories and see these children and be able to thrive yourself well the the first kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier that i i was very very lucky when i was an undergraduate to get get kind of randomly assigned to a freshman seminar where the, the, the 
senior faculty member of that seminar at Stanford was Seymour Levine, who was a pioneer in studying the effects of of stress early in life on the development of the of the brain and the stress response. And so from the time I was even thinking about the biology of the body, I was aware of the fact that early developmental experiences shape the biology of the brain and and studied that really from the time I was 19 all the way until today. So the the logical clinical field was either going to be neurology or psychiatry. And because psychiatry, in my opinion, really studied more of the uniquely human things about us, I became interested in that. And some of my mentors were psychiatrists that were also neuroscientists. And so that that's kind of what pushed me in that direction. But I early on knew very, very much that the earliest experiences of our lives influence this trajectory we take. And that uh, if the if the early experiences were toxic, that would have profound negative impact. And if the early experiences were positive, that could have profound positive impact. And so that's kind of what led me in that direction. And then, Sue, the, the issue of, I mean, what, what you bring up about the these experiences with other people who have had terrible trauma, it really does impact clinicians. And I've just been lucky that I haven't had to do it all the time. So I'm able to write a little bit, teach a little bit, supervise a case, and then only a portion of the work I do is this really intense clinical work. And so we, we try to create environments for our clinicians where they have a team. And, and, and the burden of working with a family or a child that's experienced something so terrific, uh, 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 sort of traumatic, isn't completely on their shoulders. Mm. And do, is there ever a sense of anger? Because that's another emotion I have yeah. when reading you know, so one of the things that in, in the beginning, when I was younger, I would get really angry at because it, sometimes it was the parents that w- would be doing these things. And then the heartbreaking part of it was if you get to know the parent, then you can understand, you know, you don't you don't excuse it. But what they their their impairment and their inability to parent in a healthy way makes sense because almost all of them were parented in a terrible way. And, and frequently, what happened to them was worse than what they ended up doing with their own children. Mm. And, and so it's, uh, you know, I, I still do have times when I just am so frustrated. But my frustrations more recently have been coming from the system more than from the individuals um, the the families and so forth. Mm-hmm. One of the things I see is that a lot of times, you know, we spend a lot of money and a lot of effort creating systems that let let people down and and set people up to fail. And um, and that's a for me that's an area where I continue to get pretty angry. Um, we're going to go into our next break. Stay with us for our watch team, and I'll be back with Dr. Bruce Perry. Now, the women to watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast, NBC Universal. 
This week, we recognize the United States National Guard as it celebrates its 385th birthday. Now, the first militia regiments in North America were organized in Massachusetts on December 13th. 1636, long before any of our military branches and even our nation were established. Today's National Guard is made up of more than 450,000 service members spread across units in each state, U.S. Territory, and Washington, D.C. These members from the Army and Air Force components report to each state governors as their commander-in-chief but can also be required to report to the President of the United States as part of a federal mission, such as border control or overseas missions. Most members of the National Guard have civilian jobs, but may be required to answer the call, sometimes with only a half day's notice, and ordered to report for military duty. At Comcast NBC Universal, we're proud to have thousands of employees who are members of the National Guard because we understand their need to balance their Comcast roles and their military duties. We offer specialized benefits for these employees to help them easily navigate their duties with both our company and our country. Some of these benefits include additional paid time off for military training, making up the difference in an employee's pay if they are called to serve, and offering a military concierge service team. This dedicated team assists National Guard and Reserve employees with making the transition from their civilian to their military roles as seamless as possible. Our mission is to provide peace of mind for our Guard employees when they need to answer that call to serve. Our country is a safer and stronger land thanks to the continuing legacy of our National Guard. And it is my honor to salute every Guard member, past and present, on the Guard's 385th anniversary. Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome again back to the show. I'm speaking with Dr. Bruce Perry, and I want to get right to the book because, of course, reading the book, I had way too many questions to fill in uh, this short amount of time. But one of the questions I had was, you know, in working with Oprah Winfrey, who's interviewed, gosh, I think I, I, think I read she's interviewed over 50,000 people in her lifetime. I was curious whether the from the interaction the two of you have had, did either of you have any aha moments, any new revelations? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The title of the book is from an aha moment that she had uh, after one of our uh, interviews. She, she was a correspondent for 60 Minutes after, you know, when she retired from her show and then became a special correspondent for 60 Minutes. And we've been talking for like the book says, 30 years uh, about a lot of different things about trauma and, and many of the things that are in the book we'd talked about. But I, it, Oprah really had an aha moment and connected to all of these things that we were talking about in a different way, a deeper way. When we were sitting at lunch talking about some of the kids that were part of this story and she just couldn't figure out why when they were given all these opportunities and they didn't do this and they had this and they didn't do this. And, and at some point she kind of said, well, what's wrong with them? 
And I said, the question really isn't what's wrong with them, but what happened to them, that they wouldn't be able to take advantage of the things that they've been given. And um, and she just had this moment where she's like, oh my God, you know, that, that literally was her aha moment. And that later on when, uh, th- that's why she wanted the title of the book to, to be what happened to you. And I think that that was one of the bigger aha moments for her. And um, there've been a lot of times, and she describes a couple of other aha moments in the book for her along, not necessarily in our conversations, but along the way and some of the other interviews she's done with people. But for me, one of the biggest aha moments, and I think, you know, I continue to have these is that we grow up in our own little world and I kind of describe mine and it sounds kind of idyllic and I had this idea that people are good and there's you know the world's consistent and predictable and that's you know that was my worldview and then you meet people as a clinician who grew up in a world where nothing was consistent people weren't predictable people left the people that are supposed to take care of you hurt you and and so their worldview was very different than my worldview. And and so over time, my aha moments, even in conversations with Oprah, were that, wow, she comes from a completely different background. And so she sees this same issue from a different frame of reference than I do. And so when we would have conversations, it would be interesting for us to kind of grapple with each other until we kind of found, oh, this is what you're talking about. And and then we could make a connection. But it, it's we, and we do talk about this a little bit in the book about implicit bias, that we all come into every interaction with a pre-existing set of rules about how the, we think the world works hmm. and how and, and we use that in interpreting the moment. And I keep my aha moments happen all the time when I realize, you know what? you're falling into one of your own little traps. Mm. You really don't know this person. Um, You're really jumping to, you know, your first impression may not be accurate. So just give the person some time, spend more time with them, listen more. Um, And every time I do that, I realize that, you know, wow, everybody's got a really amazing story. Mm. And... Our world's so f- busy, too fast, right? We're mm-hmm. so overscheduled that we don't, we we don't rarely spend the time that we should to kind of get to know people. And um, and I think every time we do, pe- people feel rewarded for it. I think it makes us us feel richer. Yeah, and and more connected, as you said, and and write about a lot in the book. You know, some I think, and I'm curious if you feel the same. We are this society that's constantly doing, 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 and no one is just being. Being. And I think that people are very uncomfortable sitting alone with their thoughts, and so they they want to be busy. Uh, uh, you know, Sue, I can't tell you how much I agree with that. And and I see this in a lot of interesting ways. I know people that are so uncomfortable with silence that they'll have to have the TV on. Like if they go, if they travel, right? Right. They check into a hotel room and it's silent. They're yeah. like, okay, I got to check my messages. I got to turn on my computer. I got to turn the TV on. Because right. I, you know, part of it is I think that when we're exposed to things that are new, that are unfamiliar, 
we feel uncomfortable. And because so many of us grew up in this sort of frenzied, frenzied, busy, 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 busy world, we haven't learned how to be reflective and meditate, you know, spend those moments of quiet. And I do think there's a longing for it. So when you meet people mm. that are learning about meditative prayer or, you know, whether they, they kind of discover the quietness that can happen in their head when they go for a walk or they hike in nature, you know, I think there's this longing for this ability to kind of have some quiet, reflective experiences. But do we're you not, think? Yeah, yeah. yeah go, do you I'm think sorry. COVID has played into that? Because people, we yeah. globally, we were forced to stop being so busy, and maybe people recognized, "Wow, this kind of feels good," or "I can, I can survive like this without doing so much." Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. interesting. I've, I, I've, I've heard kind of two different, very common things. One is, I've enjoyed aspects of this because I have had more of these reflective moments. But also, I've also recognized how much I hunger for connection. Mm. And, and I think both of those are good lessons to listen to. Yeah, it's, it really is. I think some, you know, one of the positives that came out of something very scary and um, difficult. Uh, we're going to go into our last break. And when we come back, I want to hear the story about Mama P, someone who um, was very influential in your life. Stay with us for our watch team, and I'll be back with Dr. Bruce Perry. Women to watch. Sports watch. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Jen Welker, and you are listening to Sports Watch. You know, truthfully and, and unfortunately, um, in sports, we don't put the same resources to girls. Why? Because there aren't often the same end games, which means there aren't the same dollars um, invested in girls' sports in the feeder system. And then all the way up, as we saw play out this year in, in March Madness very vividly um, with the NCAA tournament. And we saw the disparities between um, what the girls were given versus what the boys were given. So why would she see that and think that the world is as viable and puts the same value on her sport participation as the boys do. And so we have to be very um, intentional again. And I will use that word over and over. You'll hear me say it because she isn't going to naturally be socialized as easy into some of these situations as the boys are. So moms and dads, let's be active and proactive in creating the situations where she is coached, mentored, trained in the same way as the boys are. And then the end game become more visible and more viable in terms of what she sees and how women are paid on all playing fields so that her dreams aren't just a dream. They're actually a reality that makes sense and that she is an instrument to success as opposed to being shown that the best way for a woman to be is to be the accessory to the success of someone else. Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. 
If you're just joining us, I'm having a really wonderful, um, fascinating conversation with Dr. Bruce Perry, who is a psychiatrist and uh, the author, collaborative author, I'll say, with Oprah Winfrey on his latest book, What Happened to You. Um, I... I wanted to ask you about Mama P, because for some reason, this woman stands out in your mind as someone who um, was, you know, uh, played a significant role in your life. Can you tell us why? Yeah, Mama P is a uh, foster, she's grandmother at this point, but a foster parent who I met when I was really young, young, early in my career. And, you know, I, again, I, I continue to develop as a clinician and a scientist, but early on, a lot of my perspective was traditional medical model. People come into my clinic, we look at what's wrong with them, and we prescribe medications or we prescribe some other clinical intervention. And I I really had not yet appreciated the power of connectedness and all the things that we understand now were just sort of glimmers of insight in. Uh, that had yet to really take hold. So I met her probably the first year I was doing clinical work in in Texas, and she had a brought a child in who was struggling. And you know we did our regular assessment, and I started to make some recommendations. And I was you know going to explore medications for this child who was behaviorally struggling, and uh, and, and she's like, uh, uh-uh. uh, no. No, we're not going to give him medications. And I'm like, oh, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Who's the boss here? <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. But she was a very large, dominant person and, and sweet. But she was like, uh-uh. I said, okay, well, let's talk about maybe there's some other things she, she could do. Yes, you find some other things we can do. I'm like, okay. And, and so we spent more time talking and back and forth. But over the course of a few months, it became clear that she understood a lot about this child who is now chronicle, chronologically like 10, but developmentally much younger. And so she was interacting with him as if he was a three-year-old. And so she was much more tactile. She was much more patient. She was much, had far fewer expectations. And he started to make progress. And so the next time he came in to see us, he was sort of you know, everybody on my team was concerned that she was treating him like a baby and infantilizing him. And he's never going to get better if he's, you know, he needs to learn how to, you know, be responsible for his behavior and join the real adult world. All that kind of crazy, stupid stuff people say. And I'm, I'm kind of torn between my staff and watching this happen. And this little boy comes in and all of a sudden, instead of being chronologically like a three-year-old, he was like chronologically... Or, or developmentally like a three-year-old. He's developmentally like a four-year-old. I'm like, wow, that was only two months. What What's going on? And then two months later, he comes in and he's acting like a five-year-old. And so I, I sat down and I said, all right, what what are you doing? And so she started telling me basically that she's meeting him where he is developmentally and she's having you know expectations that are just outside of what he can do and giving him lots of opportunities to practice. Basically, she's parenting just like you and I would parent a healthy child. But she wasn't parenting based upon his age. She was parenting based upon his developmental capabilities. And I'm like, wow. And so, you know, she became a mentor for me. And and one of the things that she was really good at 
and something that's that we're very paranoid about in this culture was touch. She was very much she was very comfortable with holding the child and rocking and touching and being physically affectionate. And of course, because of all of the sexual abuse, sexual inappropriate sexual contact stuff, many systems had become completely paranoid about touch, including healthy touch. So teachers can't touch kids. You can't hug kids. You know, therapists aren't supposed to touch all all of this stuff, which is basically um, not at all what she would recommend. And so we started to learn about how to introduce healthy forms of touch. And, 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 and th- that was just one of many things that I learned from uh, observing her. And now over time, I like to think that I helped her learn a few things also. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure that if you had a balance, it would go heavily in favor of Mama P compared yeah. to You know, it speaks to how how powerful just intuition is versus academics and degrees. You know, you really need both. I think there's value to both. Um, One of the things I thought about a lot in reading the book as well was what is the difference between someone like um, Oprah who really gosh, she really suffered both emotional and physical trauma and her ability to heal. Um, and someone who cannot. Yeah. You know, that honestly, Sue, that's the, that's the core of our current research. We're trying to understand how it is that people can have different, you know, comparable bad experiences. And one person will do well and another person will not do well. How is it that in the same family with all kinds of abuse and neglect, one person can be, end up in prison, one person could become a police officer. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so we're we're studying this. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that we see again and again and again that comes out and we still need to learn more about it, but it is the the power of relationships. That that Oprah was saved, as she will tell you, by uh, healthy adults who saw her, who made her feel valued. And she points specifically to a teacher and then a few other people in her church community who were able to do that for her. And I I think of all the people I know that have had really significant traumatic experiences and have struggled, one of the things that's gotten in the way of their healing is that our systems have imposed relational fragmentation. In other words, we move them from class to class to class to class, foster home to foster home to foster home to foster home. And so we undermine relational permanence with good intentions, but the result is that they don't get better. And I think that now we're learning more about that. We're learning more about the power of permanence, the power of relationships, and and, and it's forcing us to think differently about how we do our work. Yeah, I um I, I really wish we had more time, and perhaps I can get you on again, um, so we can talk honored. more about it. I just think that you know, truly, the book I I feel everyone should read, and they they'll definitely have their own aha moments, and perhaps some tools to kind of maneuver life um, from associations they have from their own childhood, whether you know, no matter the level of trauma. So I thank you for taking the time and um, I wish you continued success. My pleasure, Sue, and thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. 
That is it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with philanthropist Olive von Ausberg, the creator of the fashion brand AVA. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.